We live in the world, which is headed and run by the prince of the power of the air. But we live by the Spirit, discerning the times. For he who is spiritual discerns all things. Sharpen your discernment. Build your faith. Listen to the Word and World Team. Minister the Word of God through conversational theology, piercing the darkness of this present evil age. Hello darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. Because a vision softly creeping left its seeds while I was sleeping. And the vision that was planted in my brain still remains within the sound of silence. Welcome, this is Hampton Keithley and Bob Brandon, and we're going over our core beliefs. I think these started as Bob's core beliefs, and I'm supposed to adopt them or something. <laughs> Oh, but this is this is core belief session or episode number five. OK, but let me clarify that. That was <laughs> kind of funny to me. I, these are my core beliefs. You you don't have to adopt. Oh, I don't. OK, no. But, yeah, and, I'm going to hold you. I'm going to question some of them, I think. Yeah, that's the best. That's the best way to do it. Okay. Um, these are mine. You know, I hold these tightly, but um, no one else has to. I just want people to know where I'm coming from um and and though we're sort of approaching this you know i sort of have a smile on my face as i'm i'm saying it this morning i really do believe these things i mean i i believe them they they are my core beliefs that this forms the matrix of how i see the world so okay well we're on number two today okay this is a a fun one <clears throat> The difference between believing God and believing in God is life and death. Hmm. So what's the difference between believing God and believing in God? Okay. Believing Genesis 1 through 11? <laughs> well, how about believing page 1 through page 2000? Okay. So um, let me try to put some flesh on those bones. So thousands I, and that's just totally a figurative word in the way i'm using it in this case of people believe in god and quite often that's their their own construction you know it turns out god thinks just like they do <laughs> turns out god's on their side in every argument you know what i mean they they believe in god they believe in some sort of concept but they they themselves fill in the data of what that is. Okay. Believing, so like a, like uh, theist, theistic evolution or those kinds of could, things. Could be, but it, it could extend way beyond that. I'm going to give you an example in a okay. second. You know, real life where I've run into this a number of times. But scripturally, where I get that from is Romans 4.3. So let me turn there and you'll be happy to know that I have the net Bible today. Okay. <laughs> and, and I have it Hampton personally signed to me by someone. Oh, good. 
do you know <laughs> do you know who that is I do, <laughs> of course I, I do. yeah because you signed it to me what a gift so um romans 4 verse 3 i do quibble with your font size though hampton hey they spent they being harper and thomas nelson spent a lot of money developing that font specifically for the net bible okay oh wait a minute wait a minute that's not true the one you have is not the harper version it's the last oh. one we produced oh. so it's it's probably just uh i don't know what we use garamond or something it's just too small is that the problem yeah or or maybe it's just right in my eyes or not yeah. you know not working how they used to so here's a verse romans 4 3 for what does the scripture say hmm what a great doesn't that sound like our last three podcasts yeah last four but anyway for what does the scripture say abraham believed god and it was credited to him as righteousness that's a quote from genesis 15 6 but what perfect wording he didn't believe in god right in fact you know this is more of a modern concept but there were no atheists in the days days of abraham anywhere in the sense that right everyone believed in supernatural beings everyone did there was there were no atheists then when when you read in proverbs for instance the fool has said in his heart there is no god what what that means they don't they're not atheists what that verse is referring to is like god's not concerned about he didn't see what i just did right mm-hmm. he he's not concerned about my life or i, I can step over the line to sin and he doesn't really notice that or care about it or do anything about it right functional atheism but but there was no literal atheists up until modern time atheism is a fairly new thought construct right right so it you know for abraham to believe in god well that's no big deal everybody believed it in god or in a god so the fact that he believes God. <coughs> so what is he referring to? There? Believe, what, believe what is, the promise that God made to him. Yes. Or, or when, is, he, when he said, go kill your son. Yeah. Sacrifice it, your son. He well, did in this, this case, I think the promise, you know, you're going to have a kid. Yeah. So, but imagine that sounds sort of simple until you examine the circumstances. <laughs> Abraham's. 90 plus, right? right 90, right. 99. Sarah's not far behind. She quit menstruating a long time ago. And they've obviously been trying. It's not happening. And God says, you're going to have a kid. And he believed that. So he believed God. And it, and it was, you know, a miraculous belief, right? Like this, this is not happening in the course of the natural world. So God is going to intervene and provide this. He believed that in, in the face of, you know, you could fill in the blanks, can't you? In, in the face of public shame, right? Cause Abraham's a great man in, the, in that culture, right? He's got a huge household, right? Plenty of slaves, plenty of sheep. I mean, he's a powerful guy. He can go off to war, 
with his household and, and be the deciding factor in battles. That That's how big his household is. Very wealthy guy, very powerful guy. And yet no male heir. Right. So, you know, after as Abraham's walking to you, you're all uh, smiles and uh, obedience, right, and respect and honor. As soon as he walks past you, you're sort of giggling. <laughs> yeah, but you don't have a kid. So, and then imagine telling your wife, "Hey, we're <laughs> we're gonna have a kid." Do you think Sarah was on board with that as far as, you know, okay, we can try some more, but I mean, you know what I mean? As far as, oh, you really think that you, you don't think he suffered under that from her. Right. I'm, I'm almost certain he did. Uh, well, didn't, and, it say, didn't it say, if I'm remembering correctly, that she laughed when she heard them. She laughs. That's so that's her son's name. Oh, you laughed at me. You, you laughed when I said, this was going to happen, right? Just like with the people when Jesus, you know, the child dies and uh, he finally shows up and says, no, she's, she's not dead. She's just asleep. And they, they mock him, man. That's boy for me. I know you're rabbit trailing me here, Hampton, but for me, that just sends shivers down my spine. Someone laughing at God. Wow. Um, but regardless, you understand my point, right? Abraham believed God, not in God. So um, here's where this has shoe leather, you know, in my life in the past, I don't know, a couple decades or so. Now and then, because I suspect this is a gigantic issue in Western Christianity. I, I think you have thousands of people in pews and and that would, you know, without resistance, hang the name of Christian on themselves because they believe in God. But as soon as you press them, they don't really believe God. So, so here's an example of that. So now and then I'll fill in in a teaching situation, you know, whether it's uh, Colorado Christian University or um you know, the local Christian schools and stuff. These, this examples from a, from the high school. So I walk into class and it's a, it's a Christian high school. And I say, you know, it's like the basic theology class for, I don't even know what, what high school grade, but um, I say, so I hold up a Bible. I say, this, this is the Bible. And they all, they all nod their head. And I, I say, it's God's word. And they all nod their head. And I say, God never lies. And they all nod their head, which I know all this is going to happen, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm deviously playing this out. So then I say, um, okay, a little show of hands. Actually, that's how I would do it, right? You know, raise your hand. So, and they would all do that. And so then I would say, so uh, you believe Jonah was in a fish for three days? And all the hands go down. And really? I say, oh, uh, yes. And I say, well, it, God said he was. And they go, no, that, that's a, like a figure of speech or that, that part was a fable. Even Jesus, was, Jesus believed it. That's, and that's where I go next. 
I go, Jesus quoted that concerning his resurrection, right? So not a minor point. He's a huge foundational aspect of the faith. Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so the son of man will be in the grave, right? And then, then rise again. And it, they just don't believe that. And then I, then I go into my deal that I'm going into now, right? That's the difference between believing in God and believing God. You guys don't really believe him. He said that happened. And they, they struggle with that. Yeah. So to me, that's life and death. <clears throat> Here's why. Let's say it this way. How did mankind get in trouble in the first place? <laughs> Didn't they believe a lie? Yeah. As clear as that, right? That is the central issue in salvation, isn't it? Right. right. They certainly believed in God. They could see him walking around in the garden with them. Yes. But they didn't believe. Yes. They he believe. said, if you eat, you will die. Yes. And so let, let me finish out the little syllogism. So if mankind got in trouble in the first place by believing a lie, how do you suspect you get out of trouble? By believing the truth. <laughs> Doesn't that sound like the gospel? That, that's why, you know, in, in my thinking, Hampton, that's why, you know, I never heard this in, in a classroom at Dallas, and not to anyone's fault. This is me piecing things together later on, but that's why salvation's not of works. We didn't lose salvation because of works. In, in that's in the sense I'm describing, you know what I mean? We right. lost we lost it because we didn't believe the truth. So the way you gain it is you believe the truth. But there's nothing you can do. There's no good work. There's no things like that, right? It's a at its core, the gospel is believing the truth, which is believing God, not believing in God. Right. So anyway, any it's probably enough on that one, but I think it's really critical to see things that way. Yeah. So that's good. Okay. Here's my next one. The universe is not eternal. You know what's fun to, for me about the core beliefs is how simply you can state them. Yeah. That's right. True. Number one, the Bible is God's word. Point blank. <laughs> right. Number three, the universe is not eternal. It's pretty simply stated. Who who is it? This is uh, going back to Genesis three again. But who is it that crafts, you know, paragraphs worth of arguments? It's the person that's lying. The truth is usually pretty simply stated. Yes, I was making that very comment to Lori the other day, and we don't remember, it was some critical race theory guy that was on the news, and he was trying to refute a parent or, or something like that, and, uh, you know, he just had so many words and talked in circles, and, you know, I just thought, 
I even said, you know, it takes a lot of skill and practice to lie like that constantly and to, you know, not be speaking the truth. It does. It does. You know, it's almost as if I, I just offer this for reflection. I've known, I'm sure you have plenty of people that really words are weapons to them. So it's just, it's just like a machine gun. You're just going to get barraged with this onslaught of, you know, verbal kind of diarrhea thrown at you. And when in reality, here's my favorite example of the conciseness and precision of truth the lord's prayer is not very long Mm -hmm. you know what i mean oh here i'm gonna give you for all time this model of ideal prayer it takes you 15 seconds to say that and and in fact doesn't jesus refer to that in another context right don't be like the pagans that just babble away thinking they're going to be heard because of the, you know, the number of uh, words, number of words. Yeah. It's pretty direct when you're talking to God, he, and he's omniscient. So you don't need to explain things to him. Right. Because mostly when we're explaining what we're trying to do is cajole him into, into our favor. You know what I mean? It's just tell him what you need. Mm-hmm. It's pretty direct. So anyway, truth is, uh, you know, these core beliefs, that's concise, simple sentences. The universe is not eternal. But here's the uh, implication of that. It doesn't that necessarily, without exception, imply there's a creator. Yeah. It, it has to, right? It has to. This is another uh, statement. It's not a core belief, just an observation. And could be wrong. I don't think it is. But if, if anyone were to think about this for a while, I think they'd reach the same conclusion. You know, our institutions of higher learning are just a cesspool of communism these days. But not not all, right? And often it surprises you when you find believers in colleges as professors and so on. There's more than you think. From from my opening statement about that, you would think none of them were. They just get drowned out. They're not the prominent voices. But, but there's more than you think. But what fields do you suspect they teach in primarily? Sciences. The sciences. Because what are you really dealing with in in science is just raw data, Mm -hmm. right? In other words, like facts, you know, um, experiments, results, facts. So you end up with a decent amount of believers. So where, where I'm going with that is, well, the opposite, before I get to the conclusion, the opposite is the humanities that is rife with unbelievers, yeah. I mean, they're, they're the spin doctors, right? You, you do have a few like Rodney Stark that you do that uh, because history is facts should, um, should be, you anyway. know, and he has really good book, how the West won talking about how Christianity caused the West to win the culture war, basically. 
Yeah. And become successful. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you. There, there are more, you know, I'm speaking in absolutes and I shouldn't, but there, there are more um, believing professors than we think, but, but still on the whole, those are liberal institutions to oh, the extreme, are. almost all of them. But the, the point is within the sciences, it's not the case as much, but he, here's where I'm going with that. They know that core belief. They know number three. They know the universe is not eternal. And they understand the implications of that. Right. You have to have a creator. So you will see other ideas floated out there. Um, just letting our listeners know, none of them have any real scientific basis. Like the, oh, the, the bouncing universe, or it comes in and out of existence, or you know, string theory, all these strange things, they know this universe is not, they know it had a beginning. That's why you had the whole concept of the quote, big bang. They, they know it's, or Stephen Hawking know it, knows it had a beginning. So <clears throat> the obvious implication is if you have a creation, you have to have a creator. And, and where my mind goes with that, I think I expressed this on one of our previous podcasts, but if the creature, i.e. you and I, can speak, the creator must be able to speak. You, you can't give what you don't have. Yeah. Okay. So if the creator can speak, would he? Well, of course. <laughs> uh, next question. What would that sound like if the creator actually spoke? I think it would sound like this. In the beginning, I created the heavens and the earth. I think that's exactly what it would sound. It sounds like the Bible. Yeah. So anyway, the universe is not eternal. That's critical because uh, we'll see this in some of the other core beliefs. But today, uh, there's a contender for who's the ultimate source of truth. And many people in our culture, in the West, side with science. And my point is, why would you side with the creation over the creator? Well, because it's a, I, I just heard an interview. I think it was, uh, I know it was on the Eric Metaxas podcast. And he was interviewing, I think it's Stephen Meyer. Oh, yeah, he's good. He does a lot of that, the God hypothesis. And, yeah, and, so yeah. and so they both have recently come out with books. Yeah, I've got um, it. I've got his About book. the idea that it takes more faith to yes. believe in atheism because the science is actually proving over and over again and more and more with the DNA and all the different things that they're discovering. The, was it the anthropic principle for the... Yes, the earth and and you just have to deny reality if you're going to deny yes. creation and God. Yes, and, and so, the only the only reason the creator, <clears throat> I'm just using that term generally, right? Obviously, I think that's Yahweh of the Bible, but just speaking in complete general terms, the only reason I can see why that's um, denied by scientists is because of the implications. Yeah, well, I think was Dawkins said, well, maybe it was aliens. 
Yeah, you, you know, because it's obvious board. you need some <laughs> intelligence to to uh, create life and yes. DNA and all of that. So maybe yeah. as aliens. <laughs> Correct. But and so here's why they want to deny the creator, because implicit, strongly implicit in that is accountability. Right. Once there's a creator, then we're accountable to him. And I just accept that. Why, why would I want to resist God, <laughs> especially when he's proven himself to be gracious and loving? I want that guy. I don't yeah. want to resist that, but, right. but people do, right? Because of Romans one, they want to suppress the truth and unrighteousness. But anyway, so that's my third core belief. The universe is not eternal. How, how about this one? My fourth core belief, Christians need to play offense as much as defense. <laughs> okay. What does that mean? Well, so if we evangelize. Well, always, but I, I, it's almost like we need a a better term, I think, than evangelize. I'm only half-heartedly suggesting this, but that sounds, that can be sound daunting and, you know, so beach overhead with the Bible kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Well, how about this? How about this term? Search and rescue. Okay. (laughs) Because this thing's going down. Right. Whether it's in the next little bit, <clears throat> little bit or, you know, in the fairly close future, as far as eons go, it's going down. It says that in the Bible. Yeah. Right. We're going to get to the book of Revelation at some point. Yeah. And so until then, the major mission is search and rescue. Well, uh, one of my passions is apologetics, and I would say that fits into this. Yeah, doesn't it? I think that's great. So 1 Peter 3.15. And I I almost wish there was a better word than apologetics, because it sounds like we're saying we're sorry for the faith. <laughs> you know, obviously, you know what that term means, right? Defending the faith. But I wish I wish we had a good good word for that so this is the famous verse first peter three fifteen. but set christ apart as lord in your hearts and always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks about the hope you present you possess so obviously that that's one of the famous apologetic verses right right defend the faith be be equipped to do that but one of the things we miss in that verse is you know setting christ apart as lord in your heart so if i recall the life of christ back in like matthew 22 or something let's let's turn there matthew 22 verse 15 i'm going to get to the point in this little bit of a roundabout way so Uh, Starting in verse 15. So this is the end of Jesus's ministry. He's about to go to the cross. But in his last days in Jerusalem, he had some face the nation kind of questions. Right. He was on meet the press, so to speak. And, you know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were the 
liberals of the day. So he says in verse 15, then the Pharisees went out and planned together to entrap him with his own words. And they sent him their disciples along with the Herodians, another nice group, saying, teacher, we know that you're truthful and teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You do not court anyone's favor because you show no partiality. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? <laughs> so obviously this isn't the place for, you know, a full-blown sermonic message on this passage, but oh my goodness. So they, they feel like they've got them. You cannot, it, no matter what you answer to that, you're going to. That's like the one is, uh, have you stopped beating your wife? <laughs> it's like that. <laughs> I mean, you're in trouble no matter what you say in, in, in their limited human wisdom, right? So here's the omniscient God's answer. But Jesus realized their evil intentions and said, hypocrites, why are you testing me? Show me the coin used for the tax. So they brought him a denarius. Jesus said to them, whose image is this? Ooh, Hampton, that might apply to one of our later core beliefs. But he says, Who, whose image is this? And whose inscription? And they replied, Caesar's. And he said to them, then give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. How much is that, by the way? Like, what, what's he saying? Isn't he saying, aren't you made in his image? Mm -hmm. So, so yeah. render to God everything. You're in his image. Caesar can have the taxes. But now when they had heard this, they were stunned. They left him and went away. So to make a short point, that's defense. They asked him a question. He answered. Now he's going to be on defense again. Verse 23, the same day, Sadducees, who say there's no resurrection. So in other words, Hampton, the Sadducees believe in God, but they don't believe God. Right? right? Okay. The way, so they, I, the way I always remembered that the Sadducees <laughs> oh, Here remember. comes a silly pun. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't believe in the so was it they were sad you see because they didn't believe in the <laughs> resurrection or something like that that's a good way to remember it i'm glad you got that <laughs> so they came to him and asked him teacher moses said if a man dies without having children his brother must marry the widow and father children for his brother um I'm pausing here because I'm, I'm going back to the earlier verse. So uh, in verse 16, right, with the Herodians and the Pharisees, they call him teacher. Sadducees call him teacher. What do you suspect Jesus's main ministry was when he was here? Teaching. Teaching. What do you think the main fatal flaw of Western Christianity is? teaching wouldn't you think lack thereof 
Yeah. So anyway, anyway, verse 25. So they ask him, hey, you know, you're supposed to marry your brother's wife if your brother dies and raise up kids for him. So verse 25. Now there were seven brothers among us. First one married and died since he had no children. He left his wife to his brother. Second did the same. And the third down to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died in the resurrection. Therefore, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had married her. So again, in their human wisdom, right? You're stuck, but not the omniscient Lord. So Jesus answered them, you are deceived. So pause there for a sec. So Hampton, how we said this uh, earlier. Remember when we were reading First Kings and the prophet Micaiah had come into the courtroom. You can't discern, unless you're a really crafty reader, you can't discern tone of voice mm-hmm. in, in a written text, un- unless there are comments directly to that effect. So you, you have to pick it up from the context. How do you think he said that? How do you think Jesus said you are deceived? I don't know. <laughs> My guess is it had to have so much power behind it. I, I think it was just so confrontational. And part of where I'm going with that is the Sadducees would have been considered part of the believing community. Right. And here's Jesus just flat out, you are deceived. You know, he's not making friends and influencing people. He's cutting, right? You know, radical surgery. You whitewash tombstones. Yes, yes. Very confrontational. Of course, he's being confronted. But so here we go. You are deceived because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Now, as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. When the crowds heard this, they were amazed at his teaching. But so, you know, by the way, before Jesus, would people have turned to that passage to support the resurrection? No, I would think not. I I would not have. I don't think. Maybe, but I... I don't think so. I don't think I would have. And yet it's a perfectly logical statement. What he, the gist of what he's saying is when God spoke that to Moses, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had been long dead, right? 400 years dead. And God says, I am Abraham's God. Not I, not I was right. I am right now his God. So therefore, Abraham must be alive, even after death. So, and and it also, you know, goes to a further point that we'll get down to on our core beliefs, that the scripture should be interpreted normally. I mean, here's 
Jesus resting his entire case on the tense of a verb. Yeah. Yeah, the footnote so, for the Net Bible on that verse says, he is not God of the dead, but of the living. Jesus's point was that if God could identify himself as God of the three old patriarchs, then they must still be alive when God spoke go. to Moses. And so they must be raised. That's a good, that's a good note. I should have read that, <laughs> but, but you, that's, you didn't first. need to read that. You already knew that, but if someone didn't know that, then they could have read the note. There, there you go. But how, so now here's, so here's the um, final point that I'm going getting to remember. We're really discussing though. You rabbit trailed me. We're really discussing that Christians need to play offense as much as defense. So he's been playing defense. He's been playing really good defense. But it's been defense. Mm-hmm. But here we go. Verse 34. Now, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they assembled together. And one of them, an expert in the religious law, actually he's playing defense one more time, asked him a question to test him. Teacher. There you go with the teacher address again. Which commandment in the law is the greatest? Jesus said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like this, like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. Hampton, do you see there one of my other core beliefs? First and second <laughs> right. Okay, we'll we'll get to that. I know I'm hinting at that, but we'll we'll get to that later. So he answers that question. So defense again. Okay, here comes some offense. <clears throat> While the Pharisees were assembled, Jesus asked them them a question. I think that's how that should be read. You know what I mean? While the Pharisees were assembled, Jesus asked them a question. In other words, he just took the ball. Mm-hmm. He's on offense now. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they said, was the son of David. And he said to them, how then does David, by the spirit, call him Lord? Saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. So the father doesn't call the son Lord <laughs> in, in the course of natural events, correct? Mm-hmm. And yet David did. David called his son his Lord. How could that be possible? Verse 45, if David then calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one was able to answer him a word. And from that day on, no one dared to question him any longer. And that, that's what I mean, Hampton. I know that's like a half hour long-winded answer. But eventually, you've got to play offense. Yeah. Right? A- answer the questions that are posed to you with not the way I do it, but with, with grace and compassion. But then you've got to put the knife in. Yeah. I think about C.S. Lewis, you know, when he, I don't know if he was the first one to say it, but, you know, asking the question, is Jesus liar, legend, or Lord? 
you know. Yeah. And and that's a to me seems to be a very offensive or like lunatic, right? Not not necessarily legend, but liar lunatic. Oh, I'm sorry, yeah, I miss I misspoke. Yes, you're right. But that's you know, he's on the offense when he asks that. Yes. Yes. And I so when it says if you just keep you know answering questions, even though that you know that's necessary, he did it. He he answered their questions. They're not you you didn't move the ball any. And yeah. to, you, you're not moving, you know, to use that metaphor, you're not moving the ball until you ask them a question. And they didn't dare ask, you know, it doesn't mean they came to faith. But I guarantee you that last thing he asked them, they turned that over in their mind countless times. And there might be, you know, when I say it didn't, you know, maybe they didn't come to faith. Maybe they did. Because remember in Acts, in the early chapter of Acts, you have to read quite a while in the book of Acts before you get to Gentile converts to the Christian faith. Correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. So in those early weeks and months, all these Jews are coming to faith. Many of them, Luke says at one point, were Pharisees. I think the questions like this move the ball. Yeah. You know, I think he scored with that question. You, you can't score on defense. You score on offense. So I'll leave it there. Christians need to play offense as much as defense. Okay. Last, last uh, point we'll cover today, Hampton. This is, uh, well, there is a verse that pertains to it, but here it is, simply stated, the only thing that will keep you from understanding something is laziness. <laughs> so here's where I'm coming from. Okay. Imagine, you know, it's not all subjects are just simple. So if, if you have a desire, you know, in any direction, any theological direction or any subject under, underneath the scriptures, which is every single subject, dive in and figure it out. You are unlimited in your intellectual power, unlimited. The only thing that could limit your intellectual power is laziness. But you're capable of understanding everything God has created. Yeah. Well, I think it, uh, certain topics are very interesting to different people. And those are the topics that they spend their time studying and you maybe even become experts on, but then other topics they're not interested in. They don't spend the time and they don't know very much about it. Yeah. And so even the uh, current, we were talking even before we went on the podcast, you know, the current, um, COVID situation, I think few people are really going to dive into that uh, like they should to figure out what's going on. Just as an example, you know, I really learned this principle that laziness is really the only thing that'll keep you from understanding something through swimming. I mean, that's a difficult sport, you know, ice skating, swimming, gymnastics, the 
the normal observer of those Olympic sports has no idea how much goes into that. When, oh, when yeah. you right when you see one of those young girls get up there and do that stuff on the balance beam, the reason that kind of looks easy, though it's frightening, that that event always scares me. You know, if you fall on that hard plank, oh my goodness! But the the reason they make it look easy is because they've just done it countless times. You know, they've they've put so much into that. Well, um, I love your story about Ledecky, where. Uh, don't uh, the, you? the first time she had yeah. a new coach or something I, I can't remember exactly but you could tell it so it's a great story so here here's what happened they started to realize fairly young you know the first year or two her in the water she didn't look hardly any different than any other beginning swimmer splashed around in little pools in the but eventually they started to realize we we might really have something here and so they they wanted to know, like a good coach would, where, where are the limits for certain swimmers? And uh, with Ledecky, you, you would wonder that pretty quick. So they gave her something to do, you know, a challenge, a, a set of uh, training that was really difficult. And in fact, it was so difficult, they knew she couldn't do it. And they, they wanted to see how she would respond to that. So they gave her something to do that was impossible. And then, you know, go to the other side of the pool and work with the other kids. And they come back when the set is over and they said, Katie, did you make that set? And what they mean is, you know, did, did you do it? Did you make the intervals and so on? And her response, and they knew she hadn't. And her response was not yet. <laughs> Oh my gosh. You <laughs> instantly instantly wouldn't you Hampton just instantly in your brain go that that's an Olympic champion? Yeah. With that kind of answer, how many people answer stuff that way? Like it was an impossible thing, so I didn't get it, but I will get it. <laughs> you know, what a what a champion, man. That that girl's an American. What a model. Yeah. Um but but the point is have that attitude about whatever it is you need to learn. If, if you truly want to understand this COVID situation and not be beholden to news or media to fill you in, you're going to have to get off your can. You're going to have to research this until you've got every angle covered and you will be appalled by what you find at the bottom of that study but well and it applies to knowing the word of god i mean it uh, takes a little bit of discipline to get up and read every day well doesn't it say because remember when i read that i said oh there is one verse <laughs> right when i said <laughs> oh there's a how about be diligent to present yourself approved to god handling accurately the word of truth so be diligent. Think, think of this verse. What, no one study to show thyself approved. Exactly. Exactly. And, and think of this one. You know, quite often we say um, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And we say that because God said that three or four times. We're just quoting a verse. But there's another verse about the beginning of wisdom. And it says the beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like literally be Ledecky, 
get off your can and go get it. We almost think this, this again, pertains to another, all, all these core beliefs to me are interwoven, but I think sometimes Christians have the idea that God will just beam things to you and he can he can give you supernatural revelation you can be in a certain situation he can just speak right to you I guess I'm just here to suggest while he can and does do that on occasion it's not his normal method of working yeah I will never forget I was at a conference and they had Bill Gothard come up and speak and he was real big into Rama at the time. And I remember him saying, when you study the Bible, check your brain at the door and then listen for a Rama from God. Yeah. Not, not good advice. So let me, let me uh, play off that for a second. I was not there. This was told to me, but it was told to me by Earl Rodmacher. It's okay. a pretty powerful theological voice, right? I learned so much from that guy. But uh, he said he was at a conference once, so he's speaking, and as he tells the story, this is so powerful, Hampton. There's a young lady in the front row, and she starts crying after he's spoken for a little bit. And it's enough that, you know, it, it concerned him. So he stopped what he was saying and addressed her. And he said, ma'am, you know, what, what's wrong? Why are you crying and she said, well, I just feel so sorry for you. <laughs> and so obviously, right, he says, well, why? Why do you feel sorry for me? And she said, well, you have to go through so much work to understand what the Bible says. Oh, oh man, <laughs> I wish I'd have been there. But so here's what he did. What a fantastic response. He says, oh, well, sometimes teachers do this when they're really trained. He was reading from his Greek Bible. Okay, she thinks he's just reading from whatever, you know, New American Standard and whatever it is. She doesn't know what Bible he's reading from. So he steps down and shows her his text and he says well can you tell me what this means and he points to a certain verse and she goes no I, I can't read that and he said well it's Greek and she says well I can't read Greek and he says well the Holy Spirit can in fact that's the language he wrote this in so why don't you ask him? Go ahead. What's this verse mean? Of course, you're going to draw a complete blank, right? The Holy Spirit isn't going to beam that to you. I mean, what a perfect illustration. Mm -hmm. And so I almost get offended the other way. Like if I can discern God working through a process, would aren't I demonstrating faith in him to trust that process? Like if he's revealed his words and, you know, to use Moses as, as one example, has received his words. So revelation and inspiration. 
and it's gotten down onto a, a text. Then it's been transmitted, passed down through the ages. Then it's been translated and it sits before me. Don't you think God wants me to finish the process and read it and study it? Why, why go through all that process if you're just going to beam stuff to people? Right. See, to me, it's God honoring to do the work. And it, it's so much deeper. When, when you're invested, you know, your blood, sweat, and tears in the study of the text, it pays off. When, when you're just beamed stuff, why, why do you think we trained Ledecky? Why, why don't we just stand her up there at the Olympics and, and just say, go, go really hard? <laughs> <laughs> right? You got to train them. So you, you got to be trained in the scriptures. God has designed and established that process for this glorious purpose to speak to you. Why don't you honor his efforts? You know where I'm coming from. Yeah. So anyway, that's where we'll leave it. Maybe today, the only thing that will keep you from understanding something is laziness. So that's our first five core beliefs. I say are. It's my first five core beliefs. Well, so far, I agree with you. <laughs> I know you do. So uh, we'll pick up six next time. Okay. I'm not even, even going to say what it is because it's going to take some explanation. Right. Okay. Well, enjoyed it. I'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Therefore, I exhort you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice, alive, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this present world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may test and approve what is the will of God, what is good and well-pleasing and perfect. Mm -hmm.